0: Welcome to the Grow Bowl with Disability Podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most. To help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristan Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and I'm a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disability is Growing Bold and Employment and Inclusivity in the Workplace. And our guest is Charles Bryce. Now, Charles is a journalist working for the ABC, and most of you may know him from the ABC News Breakfast in the Mornings. He's a quadriplegic after a motorbike accident in 2010. And in this episode, we'll hear about Charles's accident, the diagnosis that he woke up to on that day in 2010 what the diagnosis meant for the young footballer, motorbike rider, and budding commercial pilot, and how a few months spent in the hospital bed led him to a new passion and drive that took him to places he'd never thought he'd go. Charles, welcome to Grow Bowl with Disability. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, Charles, let's start with that fateful day all
1: the way back in May 2010. Uh, You had just started a new job at a mates farm, southeast of Adelaide. Tell us what exactly happened on that day.
2: Yeah, that's right. It was uh, a bit of a, a new venture for me. I went from um, working in a fruit and veg store in Adelaide to, yeah, you know, overnight having a new job and living in a new place on a farm. And um, you know, I'd done quite a fair bit of farm work in the past, and I'd sort of been there about uh, six or seven weeks, and um, I went uh, was going to go for a motorbike ride. Uh, one Saturday morning, um, just before we go to football, I uh, thought it would be a nice way to uh, meet, meet a few guys that live around the area. So, um, yeah, it's funny how, um, you know, one day in your life and even, you know, 11 years ago, you can remember all the little details of, of that day and, and, you know, it just started out as any regular day and, um, yeah, there were about six of us on the bike ride and, uh yeah probably only you know a couple of kilometers from home you know not long after we'd sort of rebunched and got together we headed off again and yeah not long after that I uh, I've, I came off the motorbike and um I sort of I lost consciousness and uh, sort of came to not long after and I immediately immediately knew something was wrong and. Um, You know, I had plenty of motorbike accidents uh, in my 19 years before that, but this one felt uh, a little bit different. I sort of knew that, um, yeah, it might have been a little bit more serious. So I I grew up not knowing what a spinal cord injury was, so I was sort of lying face up in the dirt, you know, fighting for every breath of air, and then... Not not being able to move a muscle to you know I couldn't grab the phone that was in my pocket to call for help I was I just stuck there um, just waiting and not knowing exactly what I'd done to myself not knowing why I couldn't move there was just so many unknowns um, and that, I guess that was probably part of the the scary bit um, you know while I was
0: while I was waiting for someone to come and find me now mate you you know motorbikes like I was reading up you've been you were riding bikes since what the age of four, so what went wrong that day
2: as i said i like i had I'd had plenty of bigger stacks on a bike than I did this day, and I had got up and walked away from every single one of them beforehand um had never broken a bone before this day. Yeah, I can't I can't tell you what went wrong on that day. It was just but it's yeah, it's it's called an accident for a reason. Um mm. it's just one of those um, wrong place at the wrong time. Um, falling, landing on the wrong angle. Um yeah, I wasn't you know going flat out, I wasn't mucking around and being a dickhead, I was just yeah, you know, I was actually just I was at the back of the pack, so I was kinda of literally just yeah, you know, really looking forward to getting home and, you know, putting the footy boots on and and playing a game. But um yeah, that was that wasn't to be.
1: Mm. Yeah, and so I mean, an incredibly difficult day for you when you were lying there waiting for your mates. What was going through your mind? You knew something had gone wrong. But you hadn't grasped what exactly had happened. What what, what races through the mind at that point in time?
2: A lot went through my mind um, while I was waiting. Uh, I, you know, I remember just trying to figure out exactly what had gone wrong and why I couldn't move anything. I thought maybe I'd just um, broken my legs, and I was in you know so much shock that I couldn't move. but as like as I said, I had no idea what a spinal cord injury was. I, it didn't even occur to me that I'd broken my neck. I mean, and the thing is, like, it wasn't all—it wasn't all that painful as well. I mean, the only physical feeling that I had was um, like a little bit of discomfort in my neck, but it was kind of just as if you'd had a bad sleep on yeah. a bad pillow or what have you. It was, yeah. You know, if if you told me before that day that Broken neck wouldn't be painful. I would have probably laughed
0: mm-hmm.
2: at you. Um, yeah. But I mean, the beauty of breaking your neck is you can't feel anything. So yeah. Um, yeah. Getting, getting,
0: you know, getting through that part, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, so 24 hours later, you, then, you discover that you've shattered two vertebrae in your neck and completely severed your spinal cord. And the doctors told you you'd never walk again, that you'd be quadriplegic for the rest of your life. Tell us about the moment you hear that news. Where does that sort of news sort of take a person in their mind? By well,
2: this time, I was um, quite sedated, um, but I do distinctly remember being told by one of the doctors. Uh, she said that, you know, there'd be a, a 5% chance of her walking again, really. So, but by that stage, like, you know, you know that, hmm. um, you know that it's basically all over. Um, and yeah, I think that was. Part like that moment when I was told there was so much denial uh, going through my mind, and you know, I guess I, I, I probably knew, but you know, I didn't. I didn't want it to be reality because, you know I was 19 years old and I was, you know, I was fit, healthy, active, you name it, and um, I guess like you know every other. Male, nineteen-year-old, that's young and dumb. Um, you probably feel quite invincible, really. So, for something like this to happen, um, it's yeah, it's it really it hit home. It really hit home. Mm.
1: Yeah, and you'll then um, post the, the diagnosis, and I quote, "kept alive by machines and staff in ICU for 52 days before um, you called the hamster rehabilitation centre home for the next 14 months." Tell us about that time in rehab. It, was the physical or mental side of things more difficult?
2: Uh, I, I, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I'd kind of like to think that um, I was quite mentally strong throughout it. Um, you know, i tried not to have bad days. I'd probably tend to think that I had only bad moments um, throughout days. Um, but – yeah I mean it was quite a it was quite a taxing time and um just coming to terms with reality because it is um a massive massive change and you know I lost twenty kilos when wow. I was in hospital um and yeah you know, I didn't look at myself in the mirror for what would have been probably close to like a, at least three three four five months um mm-hmm. like I could just Feel it within myself that um, like I had probably just looked like shit, um, <laughs> and you know I I, I kind of just look like a like a bit of a shadow of my former self, really. So like there there's so many like mental challenges within that period, um, mm. but then too like the the physical side of it as well. Um, yeah, you, you kind of you're only working with a few muscles that are, are still active. Um, and I went to the rehab centre, you know, not being able to lift my arm to to even scratch my nose. But then over that fourteen month period I was quite I feel quite lucky to have the amount of function and ability that I do now because you know, there's always someone worse out there than you.
0: Hmm. Now mate, before the accident, as you mentioned, you Ready to play some footy. You're also you're actively riding motorbikes, working on the farm. Um, you're part way through actually getting your pilot's license to become a commercial pilot. After over a year in hospital, what did the future hold for you? Uh, well, that was the that was the unknown really,
2: uh, because you know that's from such a young age that's all I wanted to do, and I'd, I'd been around airplanes all my life, and I started my license when I was 15, and Going through school, there was no Plan B for me. Um, it was, you know, I'd sort of set my career path out, and that's the way it was going to go. But having to think of that next step in life in a completely new body, um, mm. there, there were so many, so many questions. What was possible? What did I enjoy? There were so many, so many unknowns. But then every day, you know, throughout hospital and, and rehab, the news would be on. I'd always have a telly on, and, um, you know, there were episodes of news bulletins on what felt like every second hour. So uh, I, I watched quite a lot and it sort of helped pass time in rehab, but also started getting quite a, a bit of enjoyment out of it and quite an interest in it. And, you know, throughout school, my, you know, my, English grades were always sort of up around the best of the, the lot, sort of the best of the subjects I was doing. And, uh, yeah, I thought I could probably still physically, um, you know, become a journalist. And so once it was sort of decided that, yes, I could still physically do it, um, and the interest was certainly there, I thought, bugger it. And about um, oh, probably about a year and a half out of rehab, I was um, – at uni,
1: amazing. And in terms of um, when you had that epiphany, was it always TV, or was it wanting to do print or radio? What was what was um, your thinking? Where do you want to end up?
2: T- yeah, TV was always where I, I wanted to be. Yeah, you know, it's what I. Well, that's where I sort of I got my interest in journalism was from watching the news on telly. So uh, I. Yeah, I'd always wanted to do it, but I guess in the back of my mind, I was always I like, you know, there's well, I haven't seen anyone on TV that's in a wheelchair. Mm. Um, you know, no journalist out there has a disability on screen, and yeah, so that that was a, a bit of a challenge. I thought that I would give myself it then too. Like I was, you know, at that point in time, I was just. Hoping to get through uni um, and pass. And I was just at that point, I was just hoping to get through a journalism degree. And yeah, I guess again, there are unknowns in the future that I thought I'd just cross that bridge when I came to it.
0: Yeah, nice. One step at a time. Nice. So, what sort of job prospects did you find once you sort of had graduated for you know, a journalist with a disability? Well, it's a very competitive
2: market. Uh, journalism um, or media in general, because Mm. really you're fighting up against jobs that can be covered across three or more different uni degrees. So you've got journalism, communications, media. Um, So I spent a better part of nine to 10 months handing out resumes. And by the end of it, uh, you know, I had one interview Mm. um, and that wasn't even as a journalist. So I was like, I would have taken anything and then, uh, yeah, by the end of that time, I was just sick of it, and I I stopped looking for work. I stopped handing out resumes, and I had a few other projects on the go at that point in time. So I was quite content in, in actually not sort of having a job at that point. But yeah, lucky enough to get a call from the ABC. I had done a bit of placement throughout there at the end of my degree. So yeah, I got a got a phone call from the ABC, and um, I was able to uh, start. Um, yeah, part-time at the ABC in the uh, online and, and digital space.
0: Nice.
1: And so on that, you're a digital producer for ABC in Adelaide um, and people can see you reporting most mornings on ABC News Breakfast. You mentioned how competitive it is to become a journalist. I find sometimes there's a power to use myself. I have to prove myself above and beyond some of my able-bodied peers. Do you find you have to do the same in your role or is it just – a degree of acceptance and, and,
2: and that? Oh, I mean, I always try to do my absolute best um, no matter the situation and um, that has been the case you know, even before I was in a wheelchair. So, I mean, it, it is competitive. I, I guess, you know, in a way I've just been uh, very, very lucky to end up in the role that I have been and, um, and but I like I know that there would be people out there that would absolutely, like they would give absolutely anything to, to be doing the role that I'm in. So um, you know I'm certainly not taking that for granted. And yeah, I I go out there every morning with that in mind and um, trying to do the absolute best I can uh, because I would hate to be doing anything else. I'm absolutely loving my role at the moment. Um, Yes, that very early starts at getting out of bed at four AM, but um, yeah, it, it leaves me in the afternoon uh, to do uh, whatever I like. So it's um and you know, I've come to learn
0: that morning is the best time of the day. So I'm absolutely <laughs> loving it. Now, mate, we this is all about employment and then inclusivity in the workplace. Do you think Employers have reservations about employing people with disability. Is it obviously you haven't really come up against it, but do you think it's a big thing out there at the moment? I guess, partly, I guess, in a way, it's hard for me to
2: say, really, because mm. I don't, you know, I don't own a business, but I, I do know plenty of people with a disability that has had trouble, I guess, getting back into that workforce. I would really hope that they don't have any reservations about people with a disability. I mean, it, it has been proven that we are more productive. We take less sick days off work um, and, you know, it is 2022 now. So, you know, I think every day that goes by is another day where we are closer to having absolutely everyone um being accepting of people with a disability and, and that includes in the workforce as well. So, um, yeah, I've sort of always looked at it as, you know, there's never been a better time um, to be disabled because, mm. you know, where everything now is becoming more and more accessible, you know, in not just in the workforce but in day-to-day life as well. So, um, yeah, I'd... I, I would generally hope that people aren't, um, you know, hiding away or actively um, deterring from uh, employing someone with a disability.
1: And on that, I, I speak to a number of my mates um, who are in power chairs like myself, and they often don't disclose that they have a disability when they apply for jobs, for fear that there might be some sort of discrimination. When you were applying for jobs prior to the ABC, did you disclose? That you're a quadriplegic, or was it basically hire me on merit? Here in my qualifications.
2: Yeah, um, I I didn't disclose my um, disability when I was uh, hanging out a resume. I um to me, I, I an initial resume where that initial point when you're just sending out a resume, I didn't think it was all that important. And I guess mm. you know it's going back a few years ago now, but uh. I, probably was worried about uh, what people and employers thought um, and, you know, whether some would think, oh, no, it's just a bit too hard. But I wanted to look like just everyone else um, in that pile of resumes. I I wanted, you know, my work to stand out, my experience to stand out. Uh, and then, you know, if there were, you know, issues down the track, in terms of accessibility, then you'd, you'd manoeuvre that when you need to. Um, so, yeah, I yeah you know, I didn't think it was all that important for me to, to say that I was in a wheelchair.
0: Mate, you mentioned earlier that you, in inverted commas, didn't see people like you on TV when you are watching the news or growing up. You didn't see many people with disabilities. What's the feedback been like now from even people within the disability community seeing a person in a wheelchair. A quite a please you doing what you do. The response has been really
2: good. Um, you know, myself and the cameraman will often have people come up to us when we're out and about, um, and you know, just say how nice it is, um, like how nice a job that we're doing. And you know, I'll also I'll get messages quite often uh, from people saying, you know, thank you for doing what you're doing. You, you know, you're showing my son, my daughter, my partner um, who has a disability that, you know, you don't – that there are, you know, different – there are different options Mm. in life and that, um, you know, people don't have to be – or people shouldn't have to worry about uh, what their employment or what their future looks like uh, just because they are disabled. Mm.
1: Yeah, and representation matters – so so much and I, I was having a conversation with some colleagues um, at work just the past week around the current labour shortage that we're seeing around the world at the moment. How do you think we advocate that, that people with disabilities are, you know, are more than capable than than anyone to, to fill these positions that their shortages in? Like how, how do we get that out there and, and, and make genuine change? Oh,
2: No, I wish I had the answers to that because (laughs) it it would mean that it would be so much easier than what it is. Um, But I think, you know, there are more and more – well, things are becoming more and more visible. Um, You know, I'm on telly every day we're seeing, um, you know, the Paralympics being televised on Mm. TV uh, and not just, you know, put on a a channel – you know, on replay late at night. Um, you know, we've got other people with a disability hosting um, TV programs as well. So it is, it is getting out there. It does take time, though. Um, you know, it would be amazing just to have a magic wand and to throw it around and for things to be different. But, you know, these things do take time, unfortunately. Um, but I guess it is just having to try and change one person's views, acceptances at a time.
0: Yeah. I mean, the workforce has also been turned on its head recently too, now that everyone's been, it's acceptable to work from home. Do you think that's going to work in the favour of people with disabilities seeking employment? Yeah,
2: I think so for sure. You know, and we mentioned disclosing disabilities when you're going for a job interview. Um, Employers might be... You know, having to fork out a lot of money to change up their workspaces to make sure it is accessible. Whereas, you know, with people working from home, they may not need to do that. Um, but, two, like, and that would, that could also make it uh, a lot easier for people with a disability as well, because, you know, everyone has got a routine to get, mm. you know, to get up, dress, ready, what have you. Um, so, you know, it is it is only going to make things easier. Mm, great.
1: Uh, so, Charles, we'd like to wrap up each episode with the question What does living a bold life mean to you?
2: Living a bold life means to me. Well, oh, that's a good question. <laughs> gets it <every> um, time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, I guess living a bold life for me looks like uh, living a life that I want to live. I would hate to be. Uh, stuck at home with no hobbies i'd i'd love being active and getting out there and um, stepping outside of my comfort zone as well um, mm. just making the most of every opportunity because life is so bloody beautiful um, and um, you know there are always people out there that are worse off than you, so living a bold life is just doing. For me, doing what I want when I can, and you know,
0: along the way, just having a whole lot of fun. Fantastic. And getting up at four o'clock in the morning is always beautiful, too, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, for about five months of the year, it is. Uh, come winter, it is nasty, very nasty. Oh, yeah. Well, Charles, thanks so much for joining us today here on the Grow Bowl with Disability podcast brought to you by Ferros Care. And listeners can find out more about Charles and his great work at EABC in the links provided in today's episode show notes. Charles Bryce, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Dave. This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia, and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold. And for over 30 years, Ferros has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to feroscare.com.au.